This is the review panel, an ongoing program. We're in our second year, and we have one panel left in April. This is the panel where critics dare to say what they won't put in print. <laughs> First of all, I'd just like to quickly thank our funders, the Edith and Herbert Lehman, the Daedalus Foundation, and the New York State Council for the Arts. I would also very much like to thank our Director of Education, Rebecca Allen. And now I'd like to introduce our moderator and critic, David Cohn. David is an art critic for the New York Sun. He also is the curator at the New York Studio School and the editor of artcritical.com. David will introduce the panelists and take it away. Wonderful. Thank you very much indeed, Susan, and thanks to all the wonderful officers of the National Academy who make this event possible, really extending the founding principles and ideals of this, this venerable institution. My guests this evening in uh, review panel number 10 are Michael Brenson, who is a professor at Bard College, where he is uh, uh, associated also with the Department of Curatorial Studies. Uh, familiar from uh, some years past as a, as a Times critic and a contributor to numerous publications. And he is engaged in a biography of David Smith, which is due in 2010. Uh, Martha Schwendener is a contributor to Art Forum and New Yorker magazine, where she is responsible for many of those pithy and acerbic and uh, um, enticing uh, capsule reviews, which in a great injustice to the um, art of art criticism uh, are left unsigned. I think we should all petition Condé Nast to correct that injustice. And Lily Way, who is a redoubtable critic of the New York scene, a contributing editor both of Art in America and Art News, and curator of numerous uh, exhibitions. Ladies and gentlemen, your panel. <laughs> um, now, I'm going to volunteer Penny Cronengold to be our official um, PowerPoint capper. And her, um, her job will be betw between, I just noticed this ghastly um, sort of uh, Santana sound effect sort of thing. Um, well, maybe it's not ghastly, that's a critical judgment, too, too, too many. We, I'll save my critical judgments for the four shows under view. Jake Bateau, Thomas Noskowski, Rachel Whiteread, and Sue M. Wong. The first exhibition we're looking at this evening is of sculpture. It's Rachel Whiteread, the uh, British uh, sculptor, born on the same day in 1963 as myself, whose exhibition bibliography is currently through April 1st to be seen at Luring Augustine. Chelsea. We shall attempt to shed some critical light on Rachel Whiteread. Uh, Michael Brenson, uh, did, does this show show Whiteread on top form? Is this, uh, have, what's your view been so far of Whiteread and did this show help um, extend your admiration or, or deepen your doubt? Uh, it, it, it's, it's a show that I struggle with because generally speaking I've been interested in her work and I thought that this was a pretty perfunctory show. I, I uh, you know, I have enough respect for her to sort of 
ask why she chose the a particular subject like boxes because the what she's worked with, uh, whether it be a house or a staircase um, or a water tower, that normally she's worked with, or she's cast objects or things that have a real history to them, and and boxes are something, they're particularly these kinds of boxes, they're not the kinds of things that for which one can feel um, any, anywhere near the same kind of personal attachment, so that there was something for me in this whole show that really never quite came off. Um, I, I just didn't feel that, that any of the works packed a, in a particular kind of way, or even a kind of poignancy that, that I'm used to with her work. I, I, I wondered about the installation. I wondered about the, the size of the installation, because it seemed like there was too much. And I wondered if there had been uh, maybe just the one work in the middle of the gallery and a couple of things around it, if it had been more successful. So I had a, I had a problem with the, install, uh, with the installation and a problem with the number of the works. And, and I guess I had a, a, a problem with the work um, itself. I'm interested in what other people would say. And I sort of asked myself in the end, like, if I were to take one of these works home with me, what would I have? You know, what would I actually be owning? What was... Uh, what was this thing that I was looking at? So, if you were sort of asked me my overall general impression, I thought it was the weakest show that I've ever seen in person. Mm. Mm -hmm. Lily, is is this a case of uh, inedible and such big portions? <laughs> well, no, I actually I, I agree with everything, Michael. That those are ex exactly my my thoughts. So, um, but um, should, should come closer. I thought the subject was really very um, banal. I thought the object did not have any kind of um, any kind of, of, of resonance. And even though she's done some very beautiful works, I mean, I also admire her as an artist, and was very disappointed in the show. Um, I thought the box, I mean, especially the paper box. I mean, in a way, we looked at a lot of paper boxes, you know, since Brillo boxes and on. And I just didn't understand. As Michael said, why you know she chose this as a subject? Um, there was one thing though; she did have a, a black box, you know, in the middle of all this whiteness. And I was kind of curious about that too, what that might have done. So, in the but, back, in the back room. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, which uh, curiously is a it painted cast bronze, so it's a departure also technically mm -hmm, yeah. as well as um, in color, and then as well as in potential um, uh, pun or metaphor in the, in the black box for our civilization, perhaps. Martha, were you able to read more into the show than than, than Michael and Lily, or are you similarly? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, mean, I think that I, I too have great admiration for Rachel White Reed, but she she is generally speaking a monumental sculptor, and um, I think most of the pieces that I've admired have been um, on on the monumental scale, um, other than the small resin pieces that. Um, she made in, I think, 1995. Um, but uh, I had a sense as soon as I walked in that these were really more like multiples, and so this idea of taking them home, it just sort of felt like, you know, something sort of, you know, sort of mass-produced for taking home. Um, and then this is sort of like shooting fish in a barrel when you look at the press release sometimes, because <laughs> press releases have sort of such a wide, like critics have such a wide degree in terms of the writing. But I was looking at the press release and it said um, that it explores the concepts inherent in packing, storage, and moving. 
which I didn't think was, um, which has even kind of made things worse because um, I hadn't really thought about the concepts inherent in packing, storage, and moving. Um, but uh, no, I didn't. I I didn't think it was a good show at all. And um, uh, I think that's the black box was a nice. But I, I really yeah. didn't like the collages. I was no. sort of. Um, but the press release also said it was it was very poignant. I mean, mm. <laughs> yes, yeah, so since press releases tell you about emotion, you'll start yeah, yeah. I, I find that really yeah, difficult at mm. times. Do you think that if the if those works had been shown in not in a gallery but like in a warehouse room that I don't know what kind of back rooms these galleries have, but they all have them. But they, but but a room in which they actually bring in boxes and uh, store things. I I don't know. I mean. Uh, if if it had been a, a, a different kind of space and one maybe a little bit more identified with the packing and receiving, whether it would have made a difference. I mean, the, the, the whole point of Rachel White Reed's thing, I mean, she's one of these artists, for better or worse, whose career is consecrated to a single strategy. And her strategy is to take things, of poignant but nonetheless commonplace things, uh, like staircases, like a house, like a room, or indeed like a packing carton, and and cast it, and then create this strange tension of something being very mundane, banal, and at the same time very ethereal and other by virtue of her giving us the, the negative space. She, at first it looks like a simulacrum of the thing itself, but on closer examination it reveals itself to be something quite bizarre in that it's, um, it's the space left when the thing itself is taken away. Now, for that strategy, for that, at, at times, mystical, beautiful uh, uh, strategy, um, uh, endeavor, the carton box is a disaster because uh, it, the cast of it looks identical to the thing itself. The interior and the exterior are synonymous. You have to be uh, fastidious and, and uh, pedantic to find and notice the difference between an interior and an exterior of something which is constructed out of carton. But I thought it was a positive cast. And what happened was that the, that the cardboard was. Um, okay, Irving. Um, I, I thought it was, as I said, I thought it was a positive cast. It was supposed to be a positive cast, so that might have been, you know, her permutation on her on her theme. And I thought that the cardboard. I, I read this somewhere that the cardboard uh, disintegrated into the uh, material, so it disappeared. You know, the the the, the model. So for, for whatever that does, it still doesn't change the impact of the object. It doesn't, alas. Now, this, this, this series comes from a big work, which I haven't seen yet, but at, at London's Tate Mon, uh, where apparently 14,000 cartons were cast to create this sort of uh, Alps of cartons <laughs> that you can wander through in this, uh, which itself is still nonetheless... Uh, uh, over, uh, it's not still nonetheless lost in the turbine hall, which is something like uh, you know, which is basically a power station from the thirties. So um, virtually everything there is is overpowered by its surroundings. But um, it is something. There is something very sad and strange about an artist who achieves such great things when really pushed to the limit to uh, produce something, as Martha says, that's monumental. Uh, who who then comes out with what look like tchotchkes or, or sort of a ridicule of her own process um, when she presumably accedes to market demands to but, but produce something saleable. But that's, I mean, that's a, 
It's a question I would have, and like if 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 you would have a sense of why she would do that, because she's not a, a, a stupid artist, and 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 she would have some idea of the kind I would think of the kinds of problems that would emerge. So I just wonder if if you can if we can pluck out a kind of rationale that would that would enable us to to justify uh, this kind of exhibition in her own terms, because they, in her own terms, this must have made sense. I just don't know what those terms are. Well, uh, when she's doing a house or a staircase or a room, she's dealing with something, um, she's dealing with a landscape of sort. Is this her attempt at Chardin? Is this, is this the still life uh, for White Reed? Or unless it's kind of the most formal work, that's the only other thing I thought at the time, is that it is, um, you know, particularly since it's always for her linked with memory or some type of poignant uh, location. Um, unfortunately, with these boxes, you don't have a real strong sort of resonance when you're looking at the impression of a can on a cardboard box. It's a little bit different than looking at, you know, books or something in, in for instance, the Holocaust uh, Memorial. But um, I did have a sense that this was, a, a, for her, a very formalist work. So in the sense that people are always saying she's responding to minimalism, perhaps it was some sort of um, way of, of really just making formalist sculpture and maybe possibly exploring that. Although I think that we've all sort of said that maybe that's not what we find to be the strongest part of her work. But it's also too literal because I mean, to have those benches on top of the boxes, it was just you know, that even, I think, eviscerated any meaning, any, you know, it did further, so. Um, but I think Michael's question about how it would look in, um, in a warehouse space or in another space, or like in the turbine room, how, you know, how would more and more of it look, um, you know, that, that it might work in another mm -hmm. context. Yes, I, I have read an interview in which, or an essay, I can't remember, in which she claims or explains that she had a particular feeling towards a, uh, a carton of cello tape, which is the English brand for Scotch tape, um, that was used that her mother used to store her toys in as, a, as an infant. But uh, when you need to uh, be fed that line, it, it, the, the, the sculpture is probably in trouble. I mean, we don't need to be told that Mr. Sid Gale lived in his terrace house on uh, Mile End Road to know that house was something um, very personal and poignant and at the same time universal. Well, I feel perhaps as there's complete consensus on this issue, we all like Rachel Wideread and don't much care for her current show, we better move on uh, because consensus is the death of criticism. <laughs> it's the purpose of and at the same time the death of criticism. So, Sue N. Wong, uh, Singapore-born artist, showing at Danese, her debut, I believe, at that gallery, through March 18th. Martha, tell me what you thought of Sue Ann Wong's work. I have a lot of problems with this work. Um, I think it's attractive work, um, but um, it's just sort of problematic for me in the sense that um, it's a, a sort of a type of feminism. It's um, you know, it's supposed to be kind of edgy in the sense that she's uh, representing herself, you know, nude or sometimes kind of in these sort of autoerotic acts. Um, but I don't find it particularly edgy or um, sort of pushing forward anything that, um, I mean, it, it sort of to me links to a lot of things that other people have done, uh, which isn't a bad thing. 
so for instance, Anthony Goicalia and his um, digital photographs of himself and all these school uniforms, or um, even um, Charles Ray's sculpture of himself um, and, you know, this sort of um, kind of circle jerk, I guess you'd say, with himself. Uh, this kind of idea of narcissism and autoeroticism, I, I think that's sort of interesting, but um, the sense that I get that it's supposed to be more about identity and, and things like that, um, from reading some of her interviews and things like that, I don't really um, necessarily think that it's achieving that. Um, and then for me, I'm, I'm also, I am very interested in this idea of self-representation and the, the sort of tradition of, you know, someone like Cindy Sherman, of course. But I think that other people like Nikki S. Lee or um, Tomoko Sawada are doing work. And of course, both of that is photographic. And so I think, well, how do you, how do, you do this with painting? Um, for me, those are a little bit more interesting. So of all the four shows, this is the one, um, I was writing some notes to myself. These are the ones that I wrote the most about. Uh, this is the one I sort of find most problematic. Lily, problematic or exhilarating? Or well, or neither. <laughs> I don't find it terribly problematic. And I also think she's addressing issues like hybridity. I mean, trying to um, intercut um, um, her her Asian background or, or Asian art sources with um, more contemporary, um, well, well, current um, art practices. So uh, I think she's a wonderful draftsman or draftsperson, and um, and the, I like the fact. I mean, I think these slides are actually rather terrible because you didn't get any of her color. And part of the appeal is the is the beautiful color that she has. And she works with pencil and with um, ac acrylic and and. Uh, the pencil, I think, is, you know, she does a remarkable job with pencil. And I also like it in, in terms of the content because, in a way, she references schoolgirls. I mean, she has, in, in, as she said in her interviews, um, she's trying to recreate some, some kind of fantasy land from her childhood. And I think of, you know, schoolgirls and pencils. And it, it seems like a really appropriate um, um, material for her, a tool for her to use. So uh, I don't think they're edgy, but I. I, I like them. Um, I mean, I find them funny. Um, I find them. I, I don't find them particularly essential. I mean, the, the it's 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 very cool. So I, in a way, even though she doesn't say so, there is a kind of touch of irony in in some of them. I think a, a kind of distancing. That it's actually not a, a bad thing. I think if we had to take it totally seriously, we might have a different um, um, judgment on it. So, anyway. Michael, were you struck by the sort of art references to it? I mean, obviously, those, those first twin girls seem to be walking on a Damien Hirst uh, um, floor mm -hmm. pattern. Um, and, and perhaps there are also references to, to classical Chinese painting and, and the collision of East and West. Was that an energizing force within this work or, or an irritant? Um, I, I think it was pretty much an irritant. And uh, <laughs> I... Uh, I I'm not sure that there's anything about this work that um, that I would really want to take seriously. I don't know what's at stake in it, really. Uh, if there, it didn't feel to me like there was anything really at stake. It didn't feel like that there was anything that was really being addressed, despite the 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 way in which the press release could call attention to certain issues and and certain identity issues. I really wasn't much interested in the fields of color. I wasn't particularly interested in the way in which she represented the, the, the figures themselves, which I think are drawn 
rather than painted. And I guess the, the, the larger question I have is that, um, I mean, it seemed like such a watered-down multiculturalism. It seemed like, uh, I, I mean, she's dealing, if she's dealing with a fantasy world here, it's, it's a generic fantasy world, or it's a, it's a world that is fantasy world that's become generic in 2006. In other words, the kind of fantasies that a young girl would have in Singapore uh, seemed to me very similar to the, the fantasies that a girl would now have in, in Mexico City or in, in Thailand or in Japan or someplace in South America. And that does interest me as a kind of, mm. as, as the way in which um, certain notions of seduction and sexuality and the self have been spread throughout a global, throughout globalization so that they sort of take over and begin to inform almost every teenager all over the world at a certain age. And if that would be uh, become an issue that she would actually take on and find a way to personalize, you know, find a way in the art to, to really sort of deal with and make her own, uh, or sort of uh, just to uh, really address this generic question of how it's happening and what's going on, it would interest me because I think it's an issue that interests me. But as it is, it feels like it, it feels awfully generic and it feels awfully familiar and I just don't feel, like I said, that there's a, I, I don't know what's at stake in, in those works. So I think that they're, I think as a sort of commercial object, I think that they're fairly well done, but there's almost nothing in that work that would make me want to go back to it. I'm not sure I, I even am able to see them as being well done. I found myself quite lost with them <clears throat> linguistically. I, I thought that the drawing was just so atrocious, but not in any naive, energized, interesting way. Uh, it referred, the drawing had nothing to do with the accomplishments either of uh, Western art or of, of Chinese art. Um, I can sort of see what Lily is saying about the color, uh, but um, it wasn't exactly uh, uh, you know, a, a Rothko experience as far as the color was concerned. But it's certainly not meant to be a Rothko experience. <laughs> no, well, it didn't seem to be yeah. even the, the same kind of pleasure one would have from a good color photograph. I, I didn't quite know why this woman needed to make um, graphic representations. I didn't see why she, sh she isn't making videos or films about herself or something because uh, she doesn't really have any knack or need to make, uh, to, she doesn't seem to have any facility with, with drawing. She doesn't seem to have any um, tension with her lack of facility with drawing. So it's, it seems to be a sort of a, a, a puerile waste of time. I, I'd rather she made a video. I don't think that she had such a lack of facility for drawing. I mean, let me ask, you know. I mean, no, well, let's, let's not ask anybody. Okay. Let's think about it and analyze it and, and, and make distinctions and, 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 and say why, and say how and whether. I mean, to me, it, it, it seemed to have the, 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 the touch, the technique of kind of illustration, but it, the, the figures are not modeled, but nor is it playing any interesting game with flatness. So if, it's not, if it has no volume or flatness, what's the point of it? Unless the point is to talk about, is to get across a sense of poignant alienation, but uh, that doesn't happen either for me. Well, I think um, what Michael was saying about the stakes being low are definitely, I think that's part of the paintedness of it. When you think of, um, you know, women sort of exposing themselves, and of course when you're painting this, this is a whole other thing, but if you think, you know, of Carolee Schneeman or, um, um, I don't know, Hanna Vilka or, Linda Benglis or people like that, that is a sort of different way. I mean, the stakes were higher in that sense. And so for, for this, that's why this seems that she's sort of using that 
um, idea of you know exposing oneself, but it's just you know it is decorative. I think it. I think. I mean, I agree with Lily. I think it's attractive work, but in a, more in the way of illustration than um, than painting. So, what is the value for you of the scale then? Did it, did it didn't need to have the scale it had, and the juxtaposition of the different fields was that uh, something astute? Was that something? Well, I, it might look better smaller, I mean, more intimate. Um, but I don't think it is a painting. I don't think it's about painting. So, you know, that, that would be... So, so do you feel that they're, like, primarily conceptual works, though, even though they're, they're, they're paintings? Well, I don't disagree with you that conceptually, I don't think it's that strong, but I don't think it's... It, it certainly isn't about, you know, about painting. So, um, and maybe it is about a kind of, you know, the generic experience of, of a lot of contemporary culture. Mm -hmm. so, is that a problem? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Is that a problem that it's not about painting, even though it is a painting? Yes, why make a painting that's not about painting? Uh, because it's a drawing, it's a pencil. It, you, you know, it's a, it's a different effect, it's a pencil. Oh, okay, well... It's a pencil drawing, you know, half of it. But and the then fields the, are... The, the are fields are flat, right? you know, just flat, you know, decorative fields. And, um, so what, did, what did you make of the landscape elements? Because the, uh, the Chinese rocks and, I mean, there are a couple of areas of rocks in the paintings where they have a, a different, if there is a, like a fantasy space in the paintings, it would seem to be attached to the way she paints that. But I, I, I didn't quite know, uh, I'm just curious what you, what you thought of, of those, particularly the, like the references to the Chinese rocks, the sort of scholar rocks there. Well, it, you know, it could be also her, I mean, her fantasy of that. She was born in Singapore, so we've read, right? But I don't know how long she's, how much time she spent in Singapore, so it, this may be just her fantasia of, of a, you know, her translation of, so, of, of Chinese. So, I'm sorry, so, so, the, so the Chinese rocks like the same for her as the reference to, references to art form, yeah, or the references exactly. to the cowboys yeah, and Indians, that say. all of this at this point for her, and in terms of a culture, has sort of come together in, in some kind of almost non-distinguishable way? Yeah, because I think it's a difference, I mean, if you have, um, you know, people who, well, let's say Chinese artists who's in China, you know, that we talk, and, and, a, and, a, and a Chinese American artist, and how they look at their this, the original culture, and how it becomes trans, transformed, deformed, transmogrified, transcendent. However, it works, right? It's a figment. It's also a figment. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I just find it interesting mm -hmm. that she does this. Um, so I defend her. <laughs> well, that's what we want. That's you want an argument anyway, right? Well, and and uh, and, a def and a defense, absolutely. I feel somebody should perhaps introduce her to Balthus if she wants to really project something excitingly sort of charged about a, a prepubescent oriental female, but that's just perhaps me wishing for something that this is the wrong place to wish for it in. <laughs> but all those schoolgirls, you know, I mean, it, it's, I mean, this kind of fetish of the schoolgirl is really prevalent in a lot of the Asian literature. But isn't it, isn't it prevalent throughout? I mean, isn't yeah, it you go around Williamsburg? Ah, oh, well, it, yeah, culturally it refers, doesn't it, to that whole industry in Tokyo for... Or beyond uh, or and beyond before. And before. But um, uh, the whole sort of uh, Henry Darger cult that, that has completely galvanized the world art scene, certainly the American art scene in the last five years, it, this seems to me to also feed into that, where you can go and see any number of uh, uh, artists who uh, you know, have that kind of girly aesthetic and that uh, appeal to childhood and um, uh, latent sexuality. Mm -hmm. Not so latent. 
or blatant, yes. No, no. Blatantly latent, yes. Great. Now is a good point for our, our, our record turnout audience to, to let off a little steam and, and share some of their views of White Reed and uh, uh, Wong and, and see, that, see what perhaps we've missed, um, uh, this jaundiced panel has missed in these, uh, these artists. So do share with us your views. Um, is there a wandering mic, or are we going to ask people to bellow? Um, good. Uh, Joe, speak up, please. Yeah, the uh, show you were just talking about, I can't remember the artist's name. Suen Wong. There's a uh, show that I think, actually I think it came down to the agency side, didn't you play, who referred to uh, the concept of Imperialist West seeing Asia as a young girl in need of rescue. And you know, the theme is also with quite American, uh, the uh, Chinese boxes in, in, in the Asian movement experience. When I saw that show, I just thought of, you know, this young Asian girl, no longer need a rescue, a coquette, kind of like teasing the audience, you're completely, you know, you, you're helpless in front of what's going on there. You know, there's these references to China, everybody's stumbling over themselves and talking. Um, so I think it was a kind of, you know, ideological uh, illustration. Yes, lady in the front row. Yeah, the thing is, I actually wanted to say something in the defense of the last show as well. So I, I, mean, I was stumbling about the fact that it ultimately didn't say anything, which is the imagery seems a little bit random for me how to take. But at the same time, I guess I'm an Asian American or Asian German, whatever I am, but brought up in the West. And I thought it was a very interesting topic, not well executed, but the thought, because it is. And I know it seems like a lot of questioners doesn't know the concept of the Asian fever, or you're being dated because you're Asian. So as a young Asian woman, when you go somewhere, you don't know, is this guy asking you out because you're Asian or because he wants to talk to you? And this, this piece of work for me kind of went into this question of how are you being seen as Asian American when you walk down the street, which is different than if you are in China or in Japan, and then a Westerner coming out and asking you out. It's still a different concept of being an Asian person. So I thought that was very interesting because it, it addressed more an Asian American situation or Asian boy being brought up somewhere, and that's what I thought was very interesting. Maybe can you interesting. can you can you say though how you felt that the paintings do that, or or how yeah, the, how the question you raised would be something that you know that people would walk into the gallery and at least have some sort of ability to get a handle on. The one where she's like really like exposing herself from the back, because I think a lot of the Asian, like if you're talking about the Asian mis mysteriousness, you see the more in a like submissive position, this shy sort of kind of like playfulness. But I think when you talk about Asian Americanness, because we are not any more submissive, cute little something, you know, we're pretty outspoken. We pretty much have our things, and that 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 was this this contradiction, this blatant. Okay, here I am in the school uniform, which like, it still goes into the sexual fetish thing. While the other positions where she was just in the bathing suit row, that was just like, whatever, you know, that didn't really appeal to me. But there were some pieces where I think it reflected a little bit more of that feeling of not being Asian, Asian, but Asian American, if that makes sense. It does, I, that's an interesting perspective. I, I just wondered that, because I felt that there were a lot of bets being hedged there, 
hats being hatched, hedge bets. Um, and I wondered, even with the seductiveness, if 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 those images had gone a little bit further, because they they stay on a on a certain side, on a certain kind of fairly safe side, at least it seemed to me, of sexuality. And I wondered if they had actually become more seductive or opened themselves up in a different way. If those questions wouldn't would have, I, if I could have gotten to those questions, but I felt that 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 she would have had to he she would have had to go a little bit further in order for me to get there. Yes. But perhaps the seduction shouldn't have been there. I mean, it has a different message if it's not seductive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and just quickly about the gays, I mean, you talk about the male gays, but there's also, you know, the, uh, the European gays and the Western gays as they look at Eastern art. And a lot of um, contemporary Chinese artists have been criticized for being derivative, and then that opens up another whole can of worms about who is deriving, you know, what from whom. Whereas a Western artist might be referred to as referential rather than derivative. Well, we, yes. you know, since Picasso and uh, the masks. Definitely, please. Um, you, uh, can I ask you possibly to stand, and because otherwise people behind you can't hear you at all. Sorry, we lost our wandering mic. In fact, uh, sorry, why don't you? <laughs> literally. I'm addressing you, and uh, <laughs> I just wanted to ask if you consider uh, the element of sexuality with white reds using boxes, because boxes are a feminine symbol of the uterus. And the, the combination of the boxes with the domestic elements of tables, chairs, and small items were reinforced by the sketches, of course. And it seemed like a completely different tack for her. And I wanted to get your thoughts about that. Does the, does the staircases have a specific sexual identity that might help us put it in the whole white read perspective? No? My sort of feeling is that sort of generationally for white read that she wouldn't say necessarily that it was domestic and therefore feminine. Um, that's just, you know, because since she cast a house as well, but it wasn't really, um, you know, it's never been written about. There have been very few people who have said that it's a sort of gesture of femininity or anything like that. So I, I, I know what you're talking about as well. Say, for instance, um, you know, Louise Bourgeois and the, the woman house or something and this idea of the sort of the house and the body or the room and the body, but I, I don't, I didn't really read it that way at all. Maybe someone else did. I mean, the box is a womb or anything like that. I, I think, I think for me, she would have had to allow the box to take on a different kind of um, efficacy or individuality. Maybe if, if they had not been piled together, if there hadn't been so many of them, if there had been like a particular shape that, that she had allowed to take over and allowed to have its own kind of emotional resonance and interiority, because I don't feel these objects have that. I probably, I may have been able to get to the point where, where, you know, I could have asked myself that question, but I don't feel in the way she represented them that, that that's mm -hmm. what she had in mind. Another comment, perhaps, on White Reed? Kind of thing, like the whole way across. 
so that you view your lower down uh, as well as in three-dimensional space with, combined with the everyday object. I thought that was interesting. And also the, the shelves that were just at my eye level, I thought that was an interesting treatment. And I was also struck by the, the great freshness of the plaster and the really perfect edges and to, you know, to preserve those and all the moving and creating of the work, I thought that was kind of extraordinary. And I was also interested in how carefully they were placed so that there was just, you know, just the, the smallest bit of space between. So the, the positioning somehow was important to me as well. So I actually got a lot out of it. And it also was struck by um, all the whiteness. Of course, always the plaster and how it's always white and there was some discoloration. But the overall feeling, and, and I think things played close together and just Wow. Great. Well, I think I think at one point she actually tried. There are two of them that are set up to look like the kiss. So I think that the mm -hmm. reference yeah. to Brancusi was quite intentional. But he was also very involved in the, the um, pigment white and white. It's also funny because she said Brancusi is way too kind of sweet for her. So <laughs> she might not like that. Mm -hmm. uh, that. Uh, she might prefer our skepticism to your adulation. So <laughs> let's move on to, um, thank you for that comment, Deborah Garwood, a previous uh, review panelist. Um, always a pleasure to have them back. Uh, Lily, uh, you, you, must be, you must have been following Jake Bateau's work for quite a while and, and recall the days when, when he was one of the, uh, one of the city's abstract painters. Uh, does it still take you by surprise to see this um, uh, sometime abstract expressionist uh, revisiting Blakelock and... Uh, uh, Pinkham Ryder? Well, I suppose if you looked at his early work, you might have seen landscape elements in them, and then now they've actually surfaced. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm, he's been doing this gradually, so um, you know, I'm not surprised, but, I, but th these are even more like Ryder and Blakelock than, than anything he's done. And I'm really... I, I, I admire him as an artist and as a painter, but I, I'm really not sure. Um, I guess I don't really understand why he's doing this kind of work now. Um, Martha, do you, do you have a clearer uh, a sense of, of why? And, uh, do you well, want I, I can add more later. Oh, but, yes. But no, no, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no I didn't, no, no, certainly no, didn't no, want no, to. No, it's fine. No, I insist. No, no, I insist. <laughs> I insist. It's okay. Fine. She did more insisting We're, we're, we're having a conversation. Yes. Um, it strikes me as very conservative work. So, I mean, it's, it's very beautiful. Um, I, I didn't immediately think writer. I was, I was thinking, you know, Turner and um, um, Whistler and people like that. Um, and so um, it, it's, um, I don't know. I, I, what was the last thing you said that you weren't sure why he was doing that? And yes, I, think, I, think. I sort of agreed with that. That I, I wasn't quite sure. Um, and then I was sort of flipping through the catalog, and all the references were to Emerson and this kind of 19th century um, aesthetic and 19th century ideas. And and so it puts me in a sort of confused frame of mind of how, obviously, if you're in the Met. Um, or you know, upstairs, and you're kind of experiencing the Hudson River School. You have some kind of con you know context for it, and it, it makes a certain amount of sense. But for me, this was um, 
you know, a kind of new Hudson River School that's doing the old Hudson River School or something like that. I was sort of perplexed by it. Except that they're very, I think they're very intense. I mean, I, I don't think of Turner. I think the reason I think of Ryder is because of the treatment of the paint. I mean, it's very thick and it, it's very beautifully painted. Um, but, um, now what did you just say? I was going to, <laughs> now I can't remember what you were saying. I was going to respond to, but anyway. She said that they were rather conservative and she wasn't quite sure what the point of them was. Well, she said also. But that, I just said that too. So we yes. Knew, but there was something else. I, I find them to be very conservative, and I wonder what if he knows the point of them. I, I, I don't. Well, he's I a don't, romantic. But let's let's romantic. let's hear Michael. Michael. I Pat. guess I don't really. I'm a little bit bothered by the word conservative because mm -hmm. on one level it's yes, it's true, but on another level it's, I think it's what he believes in, uh, and I think he has the, at this point he has the courage of his convictions and the courage of his influence influences and I think that there's a I think that there's a real search going on there I think um, he has some idea of of the, of the landscape and painting and some notion of light particularly extinguishing light because they're they're very elegiac elegiac paintings and I think you know he paints and he paints and he paints and he paints his way into them and in a way that allows us into the process he's the one of the four artists who actually sort of opens up the process here and and I'm grateful for that. And when they work for me, I think they reach a point where I'm not quite sure what I'm looking at anymore, whether I'm, whether I'm looking at landscape or whether I'm looking at painting or whether I'm looking at some kind of object that I didn't see before. So I, I, I do have some like, question ultimately about you know, how, how strongly these, these, these paintings can stand. I, I don't know that, but I, have, I do really respect the... Um, uh, the endeavor and the kind of search and the, the level of commitment in the, in the work. The, the one thing that I have the strongest question about is aesthetically is the frames. I felt that the, the painted frames didn't seem to me, uh, I, I wasn't sure that they really worked as a solution. I needed, as a solution, I think he needed something uh, beyond the, the canvas there to sort of hold them in or keep them in a certain way. But uh, but it, it was the one real question, and uh, but I, I think as a, as a particular enterprise, I respect it, and and I think he's, I think he's going for a particular audience. I don't know if he's interested in a very broad audience, and and I think he sort of perceives these things, so they function if they're going to function almost as a kind of gift. I think I think the person who would buy them and who would want them would feel it uh, as a kind of personal gift of the artist to. Um, to the particular owner, and, and uh, for me, all that has value. Do, do you feel that he's um, re-energizing the vision of 19th century landscape? Do you think he's tapping uh, 19th century landscape with a degree of irony? Do you think he's simply come out of abstraction to this de degree of representation, and coincidentally, it accords with his hero's such as Blake I don't know. I guess I just I feel that 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 those people, particularly particularly Blake Lock and Ryder, that for where he is at this particular moment of his life, that that they allow him that they allow him to make a kind of search through painting that he probably couldn't do in any other way. I think they give him a kind of permission and a kind of community almost for his particular search, and I think that search in the landscape and into this notion of extinguishing light. I mean, I read them very much in terms of content that way um, and what he's after and what he's trying to deal with, and I think that those people help him get there. But do you think he's moved into a new place? I mean, it sort of looks, for me, I mean, it looks, you know, very much like a writer or 
I don't feel like there's a kind of new place that he's used to these people to reach. It just is it possible? I, I think I think that Ryder has a sort of. I, first of all, the, the the paint the paint is quite encrusted in Ryder. The way I remember it. this is mm -hmm. that that. Um, that with Berteau, the light is quite sealed. I mean, there are quite a few layers on them, but by and large, they're quite, uh, they're quite smooth, and the light is held in in a different way. And I think that Ryder's image is much darker uh, than... Um, well, I think that than, with Ryder, than, there's the specific technical problem right, of the exactly excessive right. use of bitumen. Mm -hmm. which is, so what we're Black seeing now is to the original Pink and Ryder what these JPEGs are to the mm -hmm. uh, Jake Bateaus that we can go and see at uh, Betty Cunningham, a very sad kind of uh, remnant, uh, mm -hmm. uh, in fairness, both to Berto and to um, uh, Ryder. But uh, for me, you know, what they really reminded me of, yes, I could see Whistler, yes, I could see Turner and Ryder and Blakelock, um, but they really reminded me of the kind of painting that I was first aware of when I started covering art in England in the 1980s, of a group of uh, young neo-romantics, uh, people like Therese Alton and Christopher Lebrun, who are still familiar to New York audiences with fairly recent shows at the Marlborough Gallery, and their work has kind of moved on. But those 80s artists, and there are an infinite number of uh, artists in every country in the 1980s who were engaged in some degree of pastiche and revivalism, um, they, they kind of, uh, they belonged to their moment completely. Uh, they were very tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time, they had enough of a degree of earnestness about them to, to problematize the whole thing of what they were doing. Um, and for me, when I say that uh, Bateau is conservative and Lily and Martha have used the same term, it's because, uh, well, Michael has put it very idealistically, saying that he's making a gift to a particular audience. I, I feel it's... I it's say that's the way it would be experienced, yeah. It's kind of pandering to a, a particular kind of audience that, that uh, doesn't need and want to be challenged by a, a vitalized painting. Yeah. Well, wait, I think that's a little extreme. I think, what, I think Jake is very... Not the word earnest, but I think he's, it's very felt, mm -hmm. and I think he's working on it really. Uh, he's he is building what he is building, as Michael has said. It's it's a, it's a kind of personal um, um, voyage, you know, discovery, and this is the kind of painting he's made. And he is, I think, he is courageous to make them because the consensus, I would think, would be what what we have said that they seem rather conservative. But right. um, yeah. Um, well, yes, it's well. It's a strange notion of courage to say that it's courageous to produce things which are safe and familiar and saleable. I mean, no, the show that they are felt that he feels them. Yes, not well, about, he isn't doing it to sell. But you know? don't we want art to have a degree, a, a kind of yin yang of, of authenticity, and at the same time, a kind of inner doubt about itself? I mean, this, in a way, is the nineteenth-century romantics revisited post-abstract expressionism, and also post-Cezanne. I think, I think the most interesting works for me are those are the drawings which, uh, where you really do feel a sense of um, uh, more at stake with geometry and with... with um, David, I think there's a lot of doubt in those paintings. Yeah. I, I, think, I, think even, I think there's even doubt in them about the endeavor itself, whether he's, the tremendous investment and belief that he's put in painting and what it can do, I'm not sure he totally... There's a total, it's a wager that it seems to me that it could actually accomplish that. I'm not sure from looking at the paintings that he sort of, you know, fully believes that the wager, that it can actually do what he wants, but he has made the wager, and I do feel that he's willing to, uh, I, I do feel that there's doubt there, and I feel he's willing to go to the end of it, whatever this path may be.
That seems sort of built, sort of into intentionality or something. I mean, I, when I just look at the painting, I don't feel that he's not committed to, to making that painting, but I feel at the end um, that the painting itself, um, I'm just not really sure it's taking landscape into mm. some area that, you know, for me, it just, it seems like a kind of retrospective or sort of regressive gesture. And, and not just because it's landscape rather than abstraction, but because, um, just because it's not really taking it much further for me than Ryder or some of those people. Because those people we're talking about, I mean, Ryder and Blake Glock were already half a century later looking back at Turner. But with Turner, you've got the most incredible energy of somebody uh, looking at a landscape with the, all the problematics of the radical transformation of landscape during the industrial and the agrarian revolutions. It all comes out. It's a, it was a totally modern view of landscape. So when you then take some of the surface formal achievements of yesterday's pastiche of uh, half a century before's revolution, however earnestly you put the paint down, um, it seems to me that that is the definition of conservatism conservatism at its worst. Well, let's move on. <laughs> well, no, because we're going to have some discussion after the two shows, so we'll, we'll have the richness of having Bateau and Noskowski uh, with each other. So if we could move on. And the last show that we've looked at uh, for this evening's discussion is Thomas Noskowski at Max Protect. Well, in, in some ways, it's uh, those, those going from Bertot to Noskowski is going from the dark to the light, from uh, an appeal to romanticism to a kind of ongoing modernism. At the same time, it seems to me that those painters do have some things in common. There's some kind of sensual um, uh, overlap between them in, in terms of um, touch and uh, earnestness and irony and awareness. Maybe, maybe not. Um, uh, that's a rather clumsy way of segueing into the subject, but let me see if Michael can kick us off with a more illuminating set of thoughts um, yeah but I, I just want to mention this because it's something that, to come back to I, and, and just put it on the table because I really don't feel that art has to be a certain way and you probably don't either but I think that, I think that contemporary art at any given moment is a field and I think that there's a lot of room there's room for many different kinds of work within that field so I don't think sort of yin-yang, radical, you know, or not sort of reinventing. I think that there are a lot of possibilities, and, and I just, I don't want to sort of just put put everyone in a particular kind of mold. Um, okay, I think the, I guess the issue for me with Niskowski, because I like the paintings, it's very hard to, I guess, not to like them. Um, the... Uh, I mean, I, I like the, he, he has this amazing ability to continue to work within a, a kind of format all the time and to, and to, and to make it fresh. And, uh, you know, basically without repeating himself, I think it's, 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 it is, there is something quite remarkable about it. I, I, I try to think about the, you know, the images themselves because they're about the appeal because by and large, everything sort of starts, continues outside. The lines stretch beyond the canvas um, almost always, but the image is held, by and large, within the canvas, so that the the uh, the color, the lines, don't extend out. And 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 I say that because I think there's a kind of presence that the paintings have, and, and a way in which they make themselves available and seem to want communication. 
Um, there's a sociability to them. They're very social works, and and I think it has something to do with the image itself and the way the image is actually held within the within the frame itself, and and a kind of comfort there. I think that he's very much at home with that particular format, and um, and I think the the images themselves are at home within it. And and I guess that's always the question I have because there does seem to be a comfort zone there. Uh, he is comfortable with this format and um, is at home working within it. So, you know, I try to ask myself like, what are the questions here? Uh, what what sorts of questions do they raise, or what questions do I do I really want to ask? And and it's a tough one. I I think um, I think maybe the question that I have is a certain issue of memory because these these they come from somewhere. And very often there's a hint of an out there, uh, or a back there, and yet they, they, we get when we get them they're like fully in the present, and there's a sort of relationship between the image, and and what happened out there, and then almost of a disruption, like a narrative disruption, between that and here, and that interests me. And so this whole question of memory or of archaeology within those works in relation to the profound kind of presence that they have, their relation to us or wanting to be with us in the present is, uh, is just a question I raise. So I, I, I really don't question the quality of the work. It's, it's a question of like, you know, how far it goes ultimately. Lily, did, Lily did, did, with, with the dichotomy that um, Michael's established, did, did, did you feel them as, as sort of real presences or did you feel that they are often evocations of other things and experiences? What was the strongest feeling that you got from them? Real presences. Um, what? Well, no. I, he. Well, Tom Naskowski always says that these paintings are based on specific events in his life, and yet, of course, he will never identify what these shapes are or what the specific um, events. But he says it's very important for him to start a painting. And as Michael said, you do sense that there is something in these paintings, and that I think is rather remarkable. I'm not quite sure. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure it's because the image is enclosed, but it may be. You know, it may be that. It may be the the formal means, but somehow he seems to have distilled his own personality or or his own presence into the painting. I mean, which I as I said, I think it's remarkable. But also as paintings, like they they have a whole gamut. I mean, they're interesting to look at. Because they have a whole gamut of technique, you know, right there. I mean, in these especially, I think you said, David, they they were very relaxed, and they seem more relaxed than, than they have. And and here he, you know, it's it's thick, it's thin, it's matte, it's 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 sheer, it's um, it's very colorful, it's it's somber. I mean, it, you know, in all in one painting, and a very small painting at that. So you know, they're quite remarkable. Yeah. The, did you do you get a sense, uh, Martha, of a great sort of strange variety of, of, of mood and texture in these works. Yeah, and I, it's interesting that you, were, you kept saying format, because I think of them as kind of anti-format. The one format that is consistent is the fact that they're, you know, 22 by 28 inches. And um, and I like that as well. I mean, he said that he was trying to get away from, um, or you know, sort of subverting the kind of macho size of big painting. and. Um, so that's obviously a kind of conscious move to make smaller um, abstract works rather than larger ones. Um, but the fact that there is this, for me, it's more of an anti-format in what Lily was saying, that, you know, there's there's thick, there's thin. Um, he's equally comfortable working, sort of rectilinear, curvilinear. Um, it's really kind of all over the place. Um, and the thing that I do think is really interesting um, 
the painter that I sort of think of sometimes is Raoul de Kaiser, and then I noticed that John Yao mentioned him as well. But Raoul de Kaiser, um, I just read a reference one where that somewhere that he actually cuts out linoleum and then that paints it, so it's much more referential. Um, whereas Noskowski, this idea of painting an abstraction that's about memory um, or in something that I was looking through where he said, maybe I'll go home and make a painting about this interview. You know, it's like, what would that be? So he is really, um, you know, very sort of nonspecific about the references, but I think it, that kind of comes through in, in the um, in the painting, so that after reading this with the Raoul de Kaiser, I, I started seeing, oh, I really can see how that's little pieces of the linoleum that have been moved around, and, and even so, they're beautiful paintings. But. Yeah, for me, you see, uh, Noskowski, I always think of him as an abstract unexpressionist. He's, 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 um, uh, he, he takes us back to a, like, a, a much earlier paradigm of modernism than the New York School seemed to... He takes us back to where the New York School said to us, you know, let's move forward from here, because... Um, it's beyond gesture. It's, there is this reference. So, that some of those paintings, and I find them to be gorgeous, mesmerizing works on, on, on a formal level, but why, the reason that they really excite me is, is because of the very uh, strange ambiguity of intention that seems to lie behind them. Some of them remind me almost of, of, sort of Park Avenue cubism. There seems to be a sort of a, a, an intentional uh, sort of left-footedness about them that, that makes them much more energetic than, the, than if they were uh, fluid, um, accomplished, uh, uh, gestural, sort of lyrical, abstract paintings. They seem to me always crucially about language. And this, this issue of them coming out of somewhere specific, them having a source imagery. Um, you know, some of his very earliest uh, drawings came out of uh, uh, Stephen Runciman's book on the Crusaders. Um, he sort of let that out in an interview. In a way, of course, it really just doesn't matter where they come from. What, what's important is this, this energy, this purposiveness, the sense that, yes, they are drawn from something. And, and that's, that's, in a way, uh, sort of defeats abstraction, uh, well, it, or it's a different paradigm of abstraction. So I think that they are they're, they're prickly awkward, even in this most relaxed cozy, lovely sort of phase that he's now entered with these very resolved images, they still keep what for me is the essential hallmark of Noskowski, which is somebody who's constantly probing and questioning what he's doing. So is that, if you say that it really doesn't matter that much where they come from, and so is the, is the what, what is the, the content for you then would be what? Would be the, the energy itself? Would be the, the particular way he has of questioning? Yes, absolutely. I, I don't think it matters... I think I think he's disguised his sources effectively, and therefore to try to deconstruct them and, and reassemble what those sources might be would be kind of like unwrapping a Christo or something. I mean, you're not going to get something better than a Christo by unwrapping it. You're going to get crap underneath. So, um, you know, I don't I don't think they're there. I don't think they're asking to be decoded um, in in a, in a in any kind of formal sense or in terms of imagery. I think, though, that they're sort of putting themselves out there as, as this kind of um, strangely problematic artifact, just just not not in a way that you can deconstruct, but just in a way that it sort of gives off a certain energy. That, uh, I don't. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. I don't. I'm sort of not interested in the decoding either. But I, I just when I think one of the interesting things in responding to them, it's very hard to know exactly what he 
thinks of them, it seems to me. It, I mean, whereas if you, if, you, if you look at Berteau or any of the other artists, I think you have a sense of, of, of what the work means to them and how much it means to them. Yeah. I think with, with uh, Niskowski, it's sort of harder to tell that. There's always, uh, whether it's the degree of spontaneity or nonchalance, I'm really not quite sure of the word. But then, because it's not, you, you know that it means something and it holds together, but it's sort of very hard to know exactly for him what, whether it's there's something diaristic about it, whether there's something, as you say, in this sort of amazing freedom that he can do an interview with someone, go home, make a painting, that there's this freedom now of a painter to make uh, a painting in relation to anything that happens to him at any time. But I still think, I just wonder what you all think about, whether you think that I'm wrong and sort of looking at it and just not quite knowing exactly what they mean to him, which I, I consider a strength. But right. I wonder whether whether you also feel that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm very elusive. Mm -hmm. He's a trickster, but isn't they're he? also they're very fun. I mean, they're humorous too. Yes. I mean, he plays with those forms, and they they do funny things. I mean, you know, they seem to fall off the edge. They seem to kick each other. Um, oh, there was one that looks actually it looks like you know clothes flapping from a clothesline. It was a kind of arc, you know. Mm -hmm. So, but he's I think he he always is kind of uh, uh, amusing, or amusing himself, or amusing us. But it's always a little bit more than that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, um, that's an interesting idea, though, the idea that the artists, what their, their own work is meaning to them. Is that what you're saying? Because Why do we I'm care? Not, do we care? I, I don't care. Martha and I don't care, but Lily and Michael do. Is I that, do, is yes, I do care. I do care about <laughs> the artist's intention very deeply, care. I actually do. Because I, I feel like the object is there, and I'm not, you know, either it's, it's all there or, you know. But I think the question comes in with this question of stakes. Now, if you feel that that you, it's clear to you what the stakes are in this work and, and it's sufficient, then it's sort of you don't, you, you really don't ask the question. I, when I look at Niskowski's work, I'm not always sure about that. I'm not quite sure what the stakes are uh, in what I'm looking at. And then it raises the question beyond that of what the stakes are were, were for him in the making of it. I think the, and I, what makes him interesting is that he keeps setting up a new problem. I mean, you, you realize by looking as you move from one painting to another that he is um, not allowing himself to sort of stay in this one kind of comfortable place where he's going to make this painting and then he's going to do another version of it, that he keeps kind of trying to break the mold after every painting. And so um, that, to me, in terms of what the stakes are for him, I, that just seems incredibly sort of frightening if I were a painter to go in and have to keep doing this and as a viewer to keep moving from one to another. It's kind of like when you watch a theater performance or something and you wonder if it's going to be sustained. And when you go around the entire room and it is sustained in this show, I think it is, that is a kind of feat that you realize... Um, for me, that's what—that's the power. But of the even show. if it hadn't been sustained, I mean, if if, if a single pa you know, if a single painting or would would do that, then that would yeah. also be quite all right. So. Well, it would be, but isn't it just an ex extraordinary accomplishment that there, there is yeah. a consistency of voice, and yet mm -hmm. he's 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 giving a different accent and a different uh, you know a different genre in each work. I find that I find that that really makes him for me special because you have an infinite number of contemporary artists who go out their way to paint a group show, okay, and to sort of deconstruct the, the to kill the author, deconstruct the notion of any kind of authenticity. Then you have a show like Jake's or Sue N. Wong, or Jake Watteau or Sue N. Wong, where uh, sh sure as heck it's, it's, it's sort of a variation on one very strongly felt theme. But here's an artist who's like bang in the middle of those two positions, 
is that you know that every one is absolutely a Noskowski, and you know also that it's a 2005-6 Noskowski, and yet each one has its own um, language. And isn't that an accomplishment? Do you feel, do you, is it important to you or essential to you to see a lot of Noskowskis? Do you need to see 15 together if you were to go in a museum and see one uh, you know, on its own, which I'm sure you do? You know, how do you feel about that? Well, first of all, I'd like to be able to walk into a museum and see one. Um, uh, our, our, our great institutions on the Museum Mile have a little bit of catching up to do. Um, but no, I think one, one would do it for me. And I'd love to see one and then go and see a Brach and then go and see uh, uh, um, a Rothko and then come back to it. I think one of the reasons that even one works is one of my problems with Suen Wong, which was the same problem with Berteau, is the color. His color is so antiquated. And her color, we didn't really touch on this, but the titles are taken from paint chips or something. But her color is very fashionable, this kind of interior design. I mean, there's been so much painting um, done in that vein that you walk in, and if, if you spend a lot of time looking in galleries, then you've seen this kind of palette over and over again. Um, and his, he also kind of breaks the mold with the palette, but the fact that he's doing that, and it is, um, you know, this sort of very, you know, not identifiable palette as part of it for me. And it's not a, a sumptuous lyrical palette. It's constantly a kind of rather murky, awkward palette, and yet somehow it, it has an inner light that lets it work. It can be sumptuous, though, too, I yeah. think. Great. Well, let's open this up. We've got Berteau and uh, Noskowski. There was uh, a little more contention with the first and the last. In fact, there was a lady in the back who was bursting to say something. Have you remembered it? Have you... <laughs> Okay. Yep. Good, good. Thank you. And right at the front, Dorothea. Yeah. I wondered if you had read the interview with Joyce in Brooklyn Whale and whether that informed the work for you more. I, I felt lost actually on that. Have any of us read it? I didn't, I'm afraid. Nope. No, I shall go home and do so. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, gentlemen, yes, uh, uh, yeah. Um. Um, I was struck by the services and how they felt like effects more than something discovered through that painting. And given this textured ground poking through oily surfaces over it, and um, like an antiquing also where the paint was um, brushed on and then walked off. And in an interview, um, it talked about how he's, when he left the city, he was trimming the trees uh, outside of his window of the studio to make a view. And I felt like in that way that there were more constructions than they were of uh, anything painted from observation. And I think that the frame reinforces that. Excellent. So it's really, they're more carved than modeled, despite the fact that they have that surface, which some of us feel is earnest and achieved, and others of us feel is a kind of laid-on effect. I don't like, I didn't use the word earnest. I mean, I just say I wouldn't use that word, so. Authentic, okay. perhaps. Yes? I was going to say, I found contradiction that was very interesting to me in Jake Bertone's work between the drawings, which have an enormous amount of energy and sweep to them, Bigger and the paintings, which were more traditional. And I thought that contradiction gave it something uh, very interesting and current. Mm -hmm. Great. Anyone else feel that or have more to say on Moskowski? Any comments on Moskowski, Berto? I'm just saying another thing. Yeah, please. All right. Um, maybe, maybe there's something about producing a compacted image like that at this moment. Instead of, it, it goes so much against the grain uh, of this sort of hypermobile lightness of, of, the, of the technological culture we live in that maybe it, it should be even thought of, even the labor, the sort of notion of labor there, maybe it should be th thought of as, as, as not just, not conservative, but, uh, but a, a going against the grain in a way that um, has some kind of, real ideological question built into it. I, I don't know, but I, I think there's a question there, too. It's not just going back to uh, another moment in time. Uh, yes, okay. Gentleman here. I guess what you're saying, I'm thinking, what I was thinking relates to what you just said. There was one, some of the paintings felt more of uh, Jake McCosworth, felt more uh, cooked than others. There was one in particular, of the promise uh, for Harvey, and it was, it was, I think he worked on it for four years, it said, or over a span of four years. And it, it really seemed to hold some presence there that I, I just don't usually uh, uh, find in works made today. I don't usually find this kind of concentrated presence in a piece like that that seemed to sustain a kind of human presence. And, and it relates to what you just said, because it, it seems as if that kind of endeavor, we're not sure today that that's um, contemporary, which is an odd kind of take on that, because it seems so, so human. Well. To me, it seems the paintings want to give you the sense that they're hard-won images, that their darkness, in a way, is something that's, that's arrived at because the artist has so labored it like the, like the unknown masterpiece. But to me, this is a, that, all these are cliches. This is a kind of very old-fashioned... You know, I think there are many aspects of that about them that can definitely have an aspect of the cliché, and they're very romantic. You know, they're, 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 
all of that. And yet there was this, this one piece in particular that just, I don't even know how to describe it, energetically the thing just resonated like a bell. You know, it just, there was a clear clarity of, of sound that it gave. That's a beautiful thing to say, and I, I envy you having had that experience. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, Martha, yes. I was just going to say one other thing, too, though. I mean, for me, um, it's not that I haven't experienced work like this recently. There's a painter, Elizabeth McGill, an Irish painter, who shows at um, Greenberg Van Doren, whose work is very, very much like this. So that's part of the other thing, is that I've, coming into that show, I felt like I'd had that same experience very recently. So. Um, Greenberg Van Doren, and it's her name's Elizabeth McGill, and the paintings are very beautiful. I mean, there's no sort of denying that. So, yes. Um, yeah, I felt a, a similar thing that I felt like I wasn't seeing them visually. I was more like seeing them with my body, sort of. And it was kind of like when you get up in the middle of the night and you're in a dark room and you you know where you are by kind of an identity of things, not even memory, but uh, this kind of identity. And I think that um, the way that's contemporary to me is that um, seeing is so much in terms of a cultural construct, but an identity of things is not. I mean, it, it's, maybe it goes underneath that. Uh, maybe it doesn't reach out in some way, but, but still it can be a form of rebellion against a cultural construct. Yeah, it's because she mentioned the word loss, and you just you make me think of the word lost, and it's uh, I just it's a title of one of the I must say that that's how I, especially early on in my mm -hmm. life, when um, all the cultural constructs seem to work against me, and I'm But I, you just you make me think of the of a, sort of an idea of blindness in relation to those paintings. They're sort of using the visual almost to create a, a growing experience, either of blindness or a kind of uh, engagement with, with an experience of blindness that may well be part of that. Well, yes. Uh, but these jade, of course, let's not, uh, the works themselves have a sort of inner sort of richness and luminosity. I don't think they're about, I mean, they're maybe set at dusk, maybe, but... Um, uh, or, do, or are you reading them as, 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 as images that are so heavily made that they, they lose Well, I, I, I use the word extinguished, extinguished light. Mm -hmm. I, I think that there is a, there is a reality um, of, of extinguishment, of extinguishing that, that is, does seem to me built into those paintings that, that uh, in, some, in some paintings is stronger than others, you know, where the light just holds on. Or pops through, but I think something something is happening to the light, and I do think there's some kind of some kind of fear, uh, anxiety in them about a light that's about to go out, or that could go out at any time. I, I take your point very seriously that you made earlier that you know we don't want to impose one set of values on all work, and we can take work on its on its own value, and I applaud mm -hmm. you for saying that. Um, but you know there's plenty of art that is kind of anachronistic in a way. Uh, but one wouldn't say of it that it's conservative. I mean, I, I think, say, Julie Heffernan showing next door is is knowingly a kind of neo-mannerist. There is a sort of earnestness and luminosity about them. But you wouldn't say that for that reason 
they're um, conservative. Or, or somebody like um, Albert uh, York, it seems to me. I mean, would, is, is Berthaud aspiring to the company of somebody like Albert York? Because for me, he, it doesn't, uh, doesn't hold up. In I think, the, I think the, the, the issue, if, if, if there's an authenticity to the work, then I wouldn't conservative. I wouldn't use the word conservative. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, what we're talking about, I think, is whether whether we feel that, that that work is authentic or not. And you clearly, you know, and I, I, I understand that. You're not the only one in here who feels that way, but you feel that it isn't. And I'm I'm not sure, but I, I, I think, I, I definitely think that he's reaching for something that if it doesn't move into this authentic space, it's right on the edge of it. I think, you know, earnestness is the, is the verb and authentic is the noun. And I certainly think that, He's got the verb. He's 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 in earnest, and well, I sincere. think authenticity. I mean sincerity, mm. not so much earnest. Yes. Well, it's not a derogatory term. It means you're serious and you're you're going at it um, sincerely. Yes. Um, some that more could be comments? a derogatory term too. But... Some some more uh, gentlemen at the back. I think that's technically correct. I mean, the, the last show had tw many that were 22 by 28. There was one painting in the show which was certainly bigger, but the last two shows put together show for Noskowski uh, an inflation in scale, uh, or uh, a moving up in scale, I should say. Um, and, you know, I think the consensus is that this show has a kind of um, a clarity and resolve and um, uh, a, a definitely a, sort of a kind of high-octane color that's something new in his work, and... What you're saying about scale would, would tally with that. Lady Hill? I have two questions today. Um, and it's, I have to give you a new question. Because I was thinking about Have you ever had a panel where the artist actually appears before or after a critique to see whether there's any major divergence or convergence between what his intentions are and how you perceive his art? Well, I think perhaps Lily and Michael should organize such a panel, and Martha and I will go and have dinner somewhere else. But I mean, because it uh, comes back to what, intention what, what we're talking about the intentionality is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And the second point you had? Sue and Wong, yes. Yes. Well, it, had, it had bright color and it had figures in it. Yes. Well, I mean, one could say technically, first of all, the people is one person. It's herself. It's a self-portrait. The people, quote unquote, is one person. It's a self-portrait <coughs> repeated ad infinitum. If not, not him. Yes. You showed on the screen of her art. Yes, yes. That's the show. Was the only artist that you showed tonight that had human beings in it? Yes. And I'm just wondering whether it's fair to judge her 
if you are judging her versus the other well, to are, you you, not that, are, you, are you saying that we're anti-figurative paintings? <laughs> I defended him anyway. <laughs> okay, well, I would disagree with you about the color. The fact that her color is brighter doesn't mean that it's more achieved. I, I found there was more color in Berteau than, than in Wong. Um, um, and I, you know... It's uh, because, I mean, you know, black can be a color. With him, black's a color. With her, the entire spectrum is black. So, I, 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 you know, I don't, I wouldn't agree with that. And, and also, the, the figurative thing, I'm, I feel it's just um, uh, a, a sort of non, I don't know what the term is in logic, but the fact that she was the one figurative painter and we didn't like her work is not a sound legal basis for assuming that we don't like the figure. So there comes to be a point where you are having an experience with an object, and unfortunately, you know, you have the press release, you may have some other set of sort of press materials, um, but those aren't going to prop up some kind of work. Um, and even the artist being there and saying, we've all probably here done plenty of studio visits, where you've got the artist here who speaks an incredible kind of game about their work, and the work's not really holding up. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a way in which the object just has to go out and function in the world. Precisely. If you really believe in art, then the art work has a life of its own and an authenticity of its own. The artist can tell you what he meant, and you can say, I don't care, your work is better than your intentions. I mean, you know, if the, the work has to stand up on its own. Now, the uh, intentionality is this drive within the work towards a certain goal, asking certain questions, referring to certain traditions, all of that is intentionality. That's what makes the work rich, and that's, that's our job to deal with. Intentions, um, of course, if you're, a, 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 if you're writing a biography of somebody or if you're writing a profile of somebody, uh, you, you want, we wouldn't want to be dogmatic formalists who refuse to hear the, the point of view of the originator because that would be very reductive and banal and limited, and it, it should be very, very interesting, I'm sure. But it's interesting at the level of, of, of art history, of anecdote, and when we're dealing with criticism, we're trying to go beyond that, I think, and actually David, have you, engage do, with the so image. You believe, so you believe that there is there is unmediated, this that, that that when you deal with a work of art, there's nothing, that the whole, that the institution itself, that what you've read previously in criticism, that what you've read about that art, it doesn't play a role in it? It's very difficult to expunge the role that it will inevitably play. One doesn't want to be a diehard formalist, but and, and, and one, one wants to do your homework and, and, and get your hands on whatever literature and information is available. But if you then can't somehow, having filled yourself with all that, unfill yourself with it and, and have a primary experience with the work, I think you're sort of engaged in a kind of um, uh, sort of uh, a sort of rather journalistic or, 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 or anecdotal kind of relationship. You, but we approach works of art through a whole structure of knowledge. That structure is already there, and it seems to me at some point, and I know as a critic, I want to know as much about, I want to know as much as I can. And it, wait a minute, wait a minute, and, and it doesn't, what, how much I know does not affect, in fact, it's, it's likely to only increase the kind of, uh, you know, the aha moment or the aesthetic effect that you're talking about. It just seems to me arbitrary in terms of the structure of knowledge to say at a certain point, uh, you, know, what, uh, you know, the artist's history, the artist's background is not to be included Whereas what we come, what we know, is so much through art history and art criticism and, and the institution itself, that whole structure of knowledge is already there. 
He was just saying, though, that primary experience. I mean, don't say something that you've discovered, you know, and we've all been in, I don't know whether it's large group shows or something where you sort of discover this work. That's the primary experience, though, don't you think? I mean, and that in that situation, you're not, um, you know, yes, you are an initiated viewer and everything, but you're still having that experience. Uh, and in that sense, the artist is, is not present in that moment. But so, if even need to have that experience in a gallery, if I go into a gallery and it's work I don't know, mm -hmm. I read, you know? I mean, I look at it, there's a whole, there's a whole process of puzzling out. It's right. not like you walk in there off the street, you look at it, bang, it happens. Sometimes it does. Or on the knot, there's a, there's a kind of process of knowing that, that, that needs to happen I, in order I would for just, that experience I would just say happen. that for my personal experience, I try to steer a middle way between yeah. uh, a diehard formalism and the intentional fallacy. And the way to steer that middle way is to have a, a very active sense of hierarchy in which one says that the primary experience is primary, and the secondary research is secondary. Yeah, that doesn't mean one doesn't do the research, but one, rele one relegates it to where it belongs. Now, it's wonderful to have had a philosophical discussion, but let's, let's focus on the shows and then wrap it up. So, well, Matt. Just a little bit to that philosophical discussion, just that um, the element of like, what you take away with you maybe a week or two weeks, maybe a year later, and uh, that um, the power and impact of the uh, experience that's a good thought. Thank you. Any anybody bursting to say something in defence or in in in, in uh, of of say Berthaud or something that, that or share some scepticism of Noskowski would be a good way to end. Um, we thought Okay, thank you. Uh, uh, Susan, Shannon. Yes, um, I guess in defense of Jacob I think it's totally refreshing that an artist um, is looking into nature and back to the great tradition of the 19th century. And there are a lot of settings. didn't seem that many of us could either, so uh, <laughs> we need to get a panel of young Chinese critics. Oh, we have one. <laughs> Very young Chinese critic. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, Betty Cunningham, I'm sure is bursting to tell us yeah. something about Thomas Noskowski. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. Well, it's your pay to. So, uh, uh, Betty and, and Betty will host any of you who want to see, <laughs> have a last look at the show, which closes tomorrow at her gallery in Chelsea. Alain, Kirilli, and then I think we'll wrap it up. very simple. I love the singularity of the work of Thomas Moskowski. There is something uh, just uh, a pleasure to have in the art since in so many years these shows with, with, with his singularity and his work is not kitsch, his, his work is not a, a pastiche, it's not cynical, it has a quality in it and um, without being academic, without the, there is no question of the past in the work. Uh, uh, it's just right there in, with a very rare voice today on an international point of view because the show in Paris was surprisingly was received and Excellent. Well, thank you. We want to end on, on the note of love. So thank you very much. Uh, just to plug the just. To